you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Verse, we're going to be looking just at six verses today, so that's a good thing. But we're going to kind of go slow through them. So hey, that's Philippians chapter 2, uh, chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2, verse 2 in our time together. Doesn't it intrigue you to see, just listening to the testimonies t- today, God is at work here in Washington, isn't he? Um, just go down to the vault. God is at work in West Virginia. God is at work in Cambodia, Cambodia around the world. Yeah, I mean, we, we're hearing these different trajectories, and we pray he's at work in your life and your network of relationships too. So keep all of that in mind. <clears throat> when I was in high school, um, my dad was sent overseas for two years to Sao Paulo, Brazil, so we lived there for two years, and that was uh, quite an experience for a kid in high school who didn't want to go but had no choice, and so I had to work through a series of things in that whole event. And one of the things I found when I was over there is uh, I was in a foreign culture. Nobody spoke English or was limited, and when I would come across somebody who spoke English, it was another American, there was this instant bond you know because it was like hello hello hey what you know english you know it was just like i i couldn't believe it and 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 we, we were bonded together some some kind of special with that whole kind of thing and their experience could be totally different for me they could they could be 60 years old when i was 13 or 14 but we were bonded around the fact that we were american i was thinking about that I was thinking about what it's like to live overseas in conjunction with an American embassy or consulate. And, and what, is, what is the responsibility about, of, of an American living in that arena? Their responsibility is to represent their country, which is far away, in that country, isn't it? I mean, that, that's what you do. You, you handle issues that come your way, but you're always representing your nation, which is far away. That's why this passage, when I think of that image, this passage in Philippians is so intriguing to me. Now, now follow me here. Don't lose me. Philippi, <clears throat> the, the church to which Paul is writing from prison, is a colony of Rome. You know what colonies were in the ancient world? There's a a second century writer, his name is Gellius, and he talks about the Roman colony, and I I won't read his whole paragraph. It's kind of the classic paragraph on Roman colonies. But what he says is, he says, the Roman colony is a foretaste, an outpost, a replica of Rome itself. So you're away from the city. You're here in this colony, and in this colony, you are a citizen of Rome. You try to replicate here what is actually true there. Does that make sense? Kind of what an embassy does, doesn't it? American embassy here, supposed to be showing off the the American culture. When you come to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 27, the Bible, Paul, Paul in kind of this subversive way, does something very, very different 
He speaks about this fledging church in Philippi as a colony of heaven. Now, now how do we know that? A couple, couple ways. In Philippians 1 verse 27, listen to what he says. Now, I'm reading from the New American. It, it says this, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But the word translated conduct is really the word for live as a citizen. And so what Paul is saying here in chapter 1 verse 27 is, you are not in heaven, you are here. And you are supposed to be living out your citizenship in heaven here in this world as a foretaste of what is to come. Over in chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul says this in particular, using the same key word, just a cognate. He says this, for our citizenship is in heaven. Now, doesn't that strike you as interesting? You've got a church in Philippi, and Philippi is a colony. They took great pride in the fact that we are Roman citizens, representing Rome itself. And Paul says, let me give you one far better than that. I want you to live as citizens of heaven there in Philippi because that's much more important. You are a colony of heaven. A colony of heaven that is obsessed with the gospel. Live out your citizenship in a way that is worthy of the gospel. I thought about that. When I was a teenager, I knew I was in a foreign country. I, I, I mean, I, I knew it all the time. All I had to do is walk outside. My problem is living here in this country. I often forget that my citizenship is in heaven. Do you? If you're like me, I mean, I, I just get into life. I like the people around me. I like where I work. I like my home. I like my neighborhood. I like my church. I like, like, I just, I like all this stuff. And a passage like this is reminding us again, this is not our ultimate home. We are a colony here, obsessed with the gospel about him. We are colonies of heaven. Does, does that make sense? So here's the question from this passage. Just six verses. Actually, if I would take the whole unit, we'd go all the way down to chapter 2, verse 11, and I'm thinking that would take us an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. So I'll finish this off next week, okay? So I, that's why I'm starting, stopping at 2, 2. I'm trying to preserve you, okay? Um, so I just want to look at, at just two characteristics. What does it mean that we are a colony of heaven, obsessed with the gospel? What does that mean? And Paul will tell us two things in this passage. First thing he's going to tell us in this passage, that it means that we stand firm together by the Spirit against whatever opposes God. We and, and, and what's important in this passage, folks, is this. You and I were never meant to live the Christian life alone. 
This is a joint venture together. Where together we hold hands and we stand firm by the power of the Spirit against those that would oppose the very message that drives us. Listen to what the text says. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel or live out your citizenship in a way that's worthy of the gospel. Here, listen to what he says. Paul says, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Now, whenever you see the word spirit in the New Testament, you always have to ask yourself, is it talking about little s, your spirit inside of you? Or big S, the Holy Spirit. And it kind of depends what, which translation you're looking at. Some will put a little S here. Some will put a big S. I would argue for a big S here. Okay? So we are standing firm together. And we're able to do it because of the Spirit of God that is within us. I can't crank this out on my own, for goodness sakes. Can you? No, no. No, it's, it's, it's done by the Spirit. So you're standing firm by one spirit, with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents. He says, what does it mean to be a colony of heaven, obsessed with the gospel? You know what it means? It means that the gospel has so penetrated everything that we do and say, that, that we can't help but not live it out. We can't help but not speak it. So we stand firm together because we know there's people around us that will not like the gospel message. But we stand firm. We don't assault them. We stand firm. That's different, isn't it? I mean, this is not some kind of army. Destroy them. We don't destroy people. We love people we stand firm by the power of the spirit and 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 paul says and what i want you to do is i want you to stand in such a way that you're not even afraid of those individuals well that's not so easy is it you go to work tomorrow somebody starts by telling a joke about stupid christians or whatever your heart starts beating fast because you know what you ought to say something, but you're really afraid to do it. You know what I mean? Is, I mean isn't that how it works? I, you know, we, we just, it's hard, this idea about being fearless, but, 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 but he tells us, this is what I want you to do. I want you to stand firm together. And I'm asking myself, Paul, why should I do that? It's hard. You, you read the verbs that are used here in chapter 1 to describe us standing firm. He'll use words like stand firm, suffer, strive, and struggle. Do you like those words? I prefer words like comfort, ease, smiles, happiness. You know what I mean? I mean, I got a whole other list of words I want to put in there. And Paul says, look, man, this stand firm thing is you can put words up there like suffer and strive and struggle and, and, you know, hold on. We're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. But if we're a colony of heaven obsessed with the gospel, that's what it means. 
But why should I do it? You know, the text gives us two beautiful reasons why we should do it. Look what he says. In no way, verse 28, alarmed by your opponents. Why, 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 Paul, why? Which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and, and that too from God. Paul says, you know one of the reasons why hand in hand by the power of the Spirit, we are so obsessed as a colony of heaven about the gospel that we're willing to go out into the world and live it and speak it no matter what comes back at us. Because God says, I will use you in that setting to teach them about the reality of who I am. They w- it will be a sign. They'll look at you and say, who are they? We, uh, we ridicule them. We bother them. We laugh at them. And they, they, they must really believe this. I wonder if there's something to it. Do you see? I mean, that's what happens. And it becomes a picture to them of, of the God who has worked in our lives. And they look out and they say, maybe I am going to be judged. Maybe their way is the only way. They're fearless in the way they live. Do you see how God can use us? We stand hand in hand because we so believe it from the very core of our soul by the power of the Spirit and people on the outside say, what in the world is going on in there? Paul says, stand firm. Paul says, I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, do you, you, feel, do you think Paul like never got nervous or no, no, you, you read through the epistles, man. He'll tell us there's times he despaired of life itself. No, no, no. Paul's not like emotionless. I mean, like, just hit him and he doesn't really care. No, it hurts. It's painful. It, it's all those. You're not denying any of those things. It's just that there's something more important than all of those things. And it's the glories of the gospel. And Paul says, because the gospel just so shapes everything we do, We fear God more than we fear anything else. And therefore, we can look fearless in the face of those that oppose us. Paul, why would we want to stand firm and possibly have to face ridicule and all these things? Because God is using you. God is using us as a testimony to who he is and how they actually relate to him. Sometimes they'll get saved. Sometimes they'll become more belligerent. But God is at work. Does that make sense? But he goes on and gives us a second reason. Not only because when we stand firm fearlessly, we have an impact in the lives of the very ones that are opposing us. But secondly, we are living out the design that God has for us. Look at what he says. Verse 29. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his name's sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Folks, the word for to you, it has been granted. Do you know what that word ties into in, 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 the, in the New Testament? It ties into the word grace. 
does this seem weird to you? God looks at us and he says, I am going to grace you with an incredible opportunity. Yeah, yeah, what's that, Lord? You get to suffer for me. Oh, really? You know that verse over in Philippians chapter 3? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I love the first two. I love them. Lord, I want to know you. I want to know the power of the resurrection through my life, transformation, the life of us, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Ah, that one, I, you know, like, can we wait on that one just a little bit? But it's a package. And God says, my son has suffered for you on the cross in a way that you will never suffer. We were just talking about this in Sunday school today. Isn't it funny? Terry, where's Terry? In the, but we, 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 it, it, I mean, you're hearing these same themes. Here we are back to these same kind of things. But Jesus says, I've suffered for you. I, I, I transform you. I've given myself and I want you to follow my example. And when you step out and you stand together with the saints of God by the power of the Spirit, fearlessly moving against those that would oppose you, who you don't hate, you're trying to reach... When you do that, that is a gracious opportunity that God has given you. God said, I am gracing you with the opportunity to suffer for me. Paul says, look at my own life. All the Philippians knew about Paul was suffering. Paul comes into town, gets that church up and going. Before you know it, there's this, this demon-possessed woman that's following him around, and he, he casts the demon out. And people don't want to applaud. They're all ticked off because it's messed up their financial status. And now they're not going to be make money after off of her anymore. So they just haul him in before they know anything else. And they beat him. They beat him to a pulp. Now they're, they're in a lick of trouble. Because remember, this is Philippi. Colony of Rome. Roman citizenship is very important. Guess what Paul is? Paul's a Roman citizen. They don't know that yet. Throw this guy in prison. And what's he do in prison? I don't know about you. I mean, I'd be licking my wounds. Wondering like, man, I'm so faithful to God and he's allowed this to happen to me. That, that kind of be my prayer. And Paul joins hands, man, and they have a hymn, hymn sing. They're just singing praises to God that, that, that they can honor him in their lives. And in the midst of all that, there's an earthquake and a jailer becomes a Christian. His family becomes a Christian. And God does incredible things. And Paul comes back. And well, actually, before he comes out, remember the Roman, the, 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 the magistrate comes up and says, okay, you can get out now. We beat you up. And he said, do you always do this to Roman citizens? Because I like to meet with you before I go out of here. And the guy, man, is like shaking in his boots because he is in a heap of trouble. Roman colony, dishonoring a Roman citizen, not a good thing. Now, does Paul do that because he's trying to stick it to the guy? No. Paul's trying to protect the fledging church. And he wants that magistrate to know, you've done something illegal. You better leave your hands off of this group. It, it was brilliant on Paul's part, the way he used his citizenship for the cause of the gospel. But that's what the Philippians knew about him. And now Paul writes to them again. Paul has been in prison for four years. Two years in Caesarea. Two years in Rome. And he writes to them and he says, yeah, 
When you think of how you knew me when I first came there to Philippi, when you think about what I'm experiencing right now, the key word that you hear all the way through is the big S word, suffering. And it's okay. Because for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do you know how many saints of God have so believed that that they've gone and they've been willing to be martyrs and to die for the name of Christ. One of the earliest accounts comes out of the second century is on the martyrdom of Polycarp. The particular writing dates from around the middle of the second century AD. Polycarp was the kind of the lead pastor, if you will, of the church of Smyrna, which is kind of southwest Turkey. Okay. And um, um, what had happened is the, the, the magistrates in that area and the proconsuls in that area were, were beginning to just persecute Christians, kill them. A guy by the name of Germanicus has already died, a young man. I mean, uh, Polycarp is 86. This young man was like, I think he was around 18 to 20 years of age. Germanicus, eaten by animals in, in front of other people, just tortured. And the crowds are just like going, yeah. So they're thinking, we killed Germanicus and he died with great courage. Let's get Polycarp because he's kind of the lead guy in this area. Well, he's hiding um, because the Christians are trying to move him around so the Romans can't find him. But he finally decides, I'm not going to run anymore. And he says, let him come. And when they come, the soldiers come in to where the place he's at and he says, look, before you take me, can I have a big meal for you? I'd like to feed you. I'm like, I guess. So they have this big meal. They f- he feeds them. And they say, do you mind if I pray a little bit? Well, okay, I guess for an hour or so. And, th- and they take them, and, and as they're going on the way, they say, look, all you got to do, pal, this is really simple, really simple. Just recant Jesus, say Caesar is Lord, do a sacrifice to Caesar, and you can still believe whatever you want to believe. That's pretty easy stuff. Polycarp says, can't do that. And then they start intimidating him and saying all kinds of cruel things. I'm I'm summarizing. They bring him in before the proconsul. And as he's going in, the story tells us from these believers of Smyrna who watch this, they tell us that he heard a voice from God saying, Polycarp, be courageous. He went in before the, the magistrate And the magistrate again says, and I'm reading now, swear by Caesar, repent, and say, away with the atheists. Did you know in the first century, Christians were called atheists? Doesn't that seem weird? Say, but they believe in God. No, no, but the problem was is they only believed in one God. That's the problem. Polytheist, you can believe in all kinds of God. We just keep adding another one in. Not a problem. That's the way you do it. If you only believe in one God, you're an atheist. So you've got to get up and say, away with these Christians because there's nothing but atheists. It's all you've got to do. Polycarp solemnly looks at the whole crowd. And the first words out of his mouth are, away with the atheists. And it sounds like maybe he's going to recant. He's actually tongue-in-cheek doing the flip-flop. Because for Polycarp, the only atheists 
are those that don't believe in the true and living God. He is saying, you should say away from the Christians. And he'll say, I'm actually saying away with everybody that doesn't believe in the true and living God. So he makes that statement. And then, so the magistrate says, well, then just swear the oath and I'll release you. And then Polycarp says these famous words. For 86 years, I have been his servant and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And the proconsul gets upset and he says, man, we are going to feed you animals. He says, okay, go for it. We're going to burn you at the stake. The fire were hurt for a period of time, but I fear much more for you who will enter eternal fire in hell. I mean, this guy's pretty direct. So they don't know what to do. So finally, what do they do? They burn this man and his prayer. If I had time, I'd love to read you his prayer. As they put him by, on that stake and they're going to burn him and destroy him, he prays this incredible prayer that basically says, Lord, I am so thankful that I can suffer for you in this way. I rejoice that I will be seeing you very soon. You are the great God. You have given us your son. You have given us your spirit. Thank you for this opportunity. And he dies. Well, his death is really, there's more to it than even that, but eventually he dies. Sherry, my wife, has been reading through Fox's Book of Martyrs. And so she's kind of, I'm doing some other work at my computer at night, and she's reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. So she's kind of feeding me some of the lead stories as, as she's reading through it. That particular story we could repeat to you again and again and again and again. And as horrific as it has been down through the centuries, missiologists will tell us that there have been more Christians martyred in the last hundred years than there were in the first 19, 2,000 years of the church. It, it is going on all over the world. We live in cushy America, though. And, and it, I'm, I, I'm glad about that, aren't you? Glad we have free. Look, I'm not, I'm not, I like the cushy life, right? I, I, I get it. But, but, but that's not true of most of our brothers and sisters around the world who have made that incredible commitment to stand together. And Paul says, look, 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 look. Hold hands together by the power of the Spirit and fearlessly declare your faith and don't back down for anybody because that's what a colony of heaven does. And you know what? God will use you. One of the things that interested me when Sherry would tell me some of these stories from Fox's Book of Martyrs is how often people that were there to try to put these people to death became believers. Some of them hated them more. Some became believers. The point is this. It will always have an impact on the world around you. And you will be living out the design, the gracious design that God grants us the privilege of suffering for him. And about you, but having a gas station attendant not take a gospel of John from me kind of pales in comparison to that. That shouldn't keep me from doing it, should it? 
And I, I, I have to tell you, folks, I, I, it is easy for me, and, and I teach and do this stuff all the time, it is easy for me to slip into a mode of complacency. I hate to say it, but it's true. I'm assuming it is all of us. And I read this passage again, and I just thought, we should just be like gospel-obsessed. And we, we don't go around saying, bring it on. I mean, bring it on now, now. There's plenty out there. You don't have to say, bring it on. <laughs> but we stand. And we don't hate the people. We love them. Polycarp loved these people. He wanted them to become Christians. They are both perpetrators and victims all at the same time. But we ask God to help us to stand firm, to proclaim the glories of the gospel, and they don't know what to do with it. And God says, I, I, get, I let you do this. We come to the end of the sermon. I'm going to move to the second point more quickly, so relax. You can probably say, like, uh. um, When we come to the end of the sermon, though, I, I want you to even now, though, begin thinking, what does that mean for you? I mean, pro- nobody in here is going to be, like, burned at the stake this week. I mean, nobody, okay? Would some of you face ridicule? If you speak, stand up and speak for Christ when you know you should? Sure. Attack? Mm-hmm. Could it happen at home, at work, in your neighborhood, at school? We've got young people here. It's hard, young people. It's hard to stand in a public school setting. One of the things I would encourage you to do is grab hands with other Christians in that school that you can pray together with and you can strategize together with so when you go and you speak the name of Christ to somebody, you have somebody you can talk to about it. I hope you do that as young people. You can stand together. Think of ways we can stand together as we seek to gospelize those around us. Maybe you'll go down to the vault. Maybe you'll find a teenager that'll cuss you up one side and down the other. I guess it happens, doesn't it? My guess is they won't pull a knife out on you and try to stab you. You'll be okay. But that's part of what it means, doesn't it? We are a colony of heaven, obsessed with the gospel, so we stand firm together by the power of the Spirit as we step out. Why else? What else does it mean, Doug? So you're saying we should be willing to even die for the, for the gospel. Well, yeah, I think that is what he's saying. So not only should we stand firm, but what he says here in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 is, we should stay focused on the same goal. Which to me means, not only should we be willing to die as we stand firm, we should be willing to stay focused, we should be willing to live for him on a day-by-day basis. Look at what he says here in verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, make my joy complete, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I want you to notice a couple things here. Paul doesn't give us any wiggle room. 
He says, what I want you to do to be a colony of heaven means you stand firm. But it also means in the interim, you stay focused as, on, as a group on what's most important. So cognitively, I want you to have the same mind. Uh, the one word here can be translated one soul, united in, in the very core of my being. It means volitionally, cognitively, effectively, you name it, man. It's everything. We have the same love. We have the same goal. We're thinking about the same thing. Paul just like piles them on. When you daydream, what do you daydream about? Paul wants the Philippians, Paul wants us to daydream about the gospel. We are just focused there. When I see you afterwards, how's it going? I'm okay talking about the Eagles. Not so much, actually, but different things. Oh, fair enough. I mean, I'm happy to talk about all kinds of things. But, but, but so much of our conversation should be gospel conversation. Amen. Where afterwards, one of you come up to me and say, hey, um, will you pray? There's a guy I want to talk to at work. I, I won't mention his name. Dear, wonderful gentleman here texts me from time to time during the week. Probably, probably three out of the four weeks. And he'll say, Pray for me. I'm talking. He'll give me the guy's name, and I'm talking to him in five minutes. Pray for me. He'll send it to me. I love it. That's what we should be doing, shouldn't we? Our conversation should be, man, so what do you think about gospel? Gospel. You you know, they've got some really weird um, groupy things around the country. Do you know there's like a group that is so given over to dulcimers? I mean, dulcimers, folks? Dulcimers? I mean, like, I guess there's all kinds of different dulcimers. I don't know. I don't know much about dulcimers. I've seen them. That's it. You can bring people together who are in their 80s, teenagers, 20, married, unmarried, divorced, every ethnic group, rich, poor, and they get together. And life is about the dulcimer. That's a little bit strange to me, but hey, whatever. We live in a free country. They can do whatever they want. When we get together, life is about the gospel. So we are one mind, one soul, one love. It's all there. Why, Paul? Why? Okay, I understand you want us to stand because it'll have a testimony to them and it's living out God's gracious design for us. Okay, I get it, I get it. You also want us on a day-to-day basis because, you know, Paul, there's some really interesting people here in the chapel. They're not really my personality style. You know, we're not exactly the same. Their life experiences are a little bit different. Blah, 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 blah. Paul says, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because you have the same goal. That's what unites us. And Paul says, you want me to give you, an, you, you, want me to give you a motivation for it? Here it is, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection, if there is any compassion, you know what Paul says? Look at God's investment in the church. All of these verbal ideas here, they're nouns, but they're verbal ideas. All of these action nouns, if you will, are all used in the scripture for what God has done for us in Christ. 
He's given us fellowship. He's encouraged us. He's graced us. He's compassioned us. He's mercied us. He's done all. And, and not just that. He's not just that, done that in the church. He's also worked through us. So we, all these verbs are also used for how we treat one another. It's both. It's not an either or. It's what God does directly to us. It's what God does through us to one another. So all the same verbs, consolation, encouragement. I can read a whole host of verses from you from Paul, and he just uses them interchangeably for this is what the church is about. God says, I have created my people. I have graced them, and I empower people within to grace one another. So what I want you to do, because I'm the one that did this. I'm the one who has created this colony of heaven. I want you to join hands. I want you to be overwhelmed with what I have done for you in the person of Christ. I want you to rejoice over how you experience that from the love from one another. And I want you to stay focused on the gospel because sometimes it's easier to be willing to die for Christ than it is to live for him because you've got to live every day, day in and day out, and it gets hard. Be willing to die, suffer. Be willing to live for him by staying focused as a group on what is most important because he has created something that has no copy. There's nothing like it in the world. It is his church. Amen. What could bring us together? I mean, you look at some of us. We are so different. <laughs> what unites us is Jesus right. and his gospel. Right. And Paul... If you, caught, if you cut Paul open, I mean, he would bleed the gospel. I mean, that's, just, that's just who he is. And he's writing to these Philippians who he loves and, 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 and are seeking to walk with Christ. He just wants to encourage them. And he just says, guys, fearlessly continue in the gospel. Be a colony of heaven. Just stand and live together because of what God has created by staying focused on what is most important. What happens if the chapel does this? What happens if we live like this? What happens if God and his gospel, what he's done for us in Christ are so big that it dominates everything we do? I don't know, but it'd be pretty good. And you know what, folks? I'm gonna commend you because so many of you live this way. So don't hear me saying, yeah, you need to get your act together. You know, I want to tell, for a lot of you, I want to say, keep at it. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe you've had a little bit of a downturn and you just need to be some more encouragement to pop out of that again. I don't know. I don't know where you are. But I want to pray here in just a second because I know my time's up. Um, and, and before I pray, I'm going to wait a minute till, till I pray. Would you pray to God? And, and would, you, would you ask him, God, um, where do you want me to stand with fellow believers against whatever comes around the gospel? God, what can I do to stay focused with other believers on the gospel? Because that's what's most important. Would you, would you pray and ask him? Last night, um, I, 
I gave the same message to the group that was here. And um, afterwards, I was talking with two, two individuals. I'll, I'll keep their name anonymous. I don't think they'd mind, but I won't do it. I won't mention their names. But you know, the one guy said, you know, after hearing the message, I'm going to start a Bible study at work. I said, that's great. And, and the, the, the other, other uh, woman was talking to me. She said, I work at a particular establishment, and there's a couple believers. In, in some sense, we're kind of the colony of heaven there in that facility. So I, I want to kind of talk to them so we can kind of strategize together how we might be able to bring the gospel to bear in that area. I mean, I mean, that was just two people's application after church last night. So I don't know what yours will be. You may say, I'm going to beeline it back there and talk to Matt right afterwards. Okay, go for it. Somebody else may pray and say, I'm going to try out this West Virginia thing. I've never done it. I'm just going to get involved. Somebody else may, may say, I just need help staying focused on the gospel. Hey, this Bible study at Michelle's house on Friday, can, can I come? Come. Will, will it help me stay focused on watch movies? Yeah. You're a guy. You're saying, can I get, there's men's Bible studies. Jump in. Do something. Amen. I don't want to do the spirit of God's work. Let him do it. But when you pray, would you pray just about one way you would like to see God work in your heart to change you as one who's part of the colony of heaven that's obsessed with the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are a needy people. We love you because you have first loved us in the person of your son. And yet, Father, it is easy for us just to become complacent. Maybe not even quite indifferent, but complacent. Part of which is because we've enjoyed so many wonderful blessings that you've given us in this country. Would you, through your spirit, enliven us to the reality of the gospel? To the fact that we are a colony of heaven. This world's not our home, Lord. We're just a passing through. And as we sang earlier, the song on how firm a foundation, Lord, it doesn't matter what Satan brings against us. You will never Never, never forsake us. God, enliven our soul. Through your spirit, help us to take the next step to be men and women that live as a colony of heaven. In Christ's name I pray, amen.